I didn't think I'd be as emotional as I am today. All of you probably thought that, though, because I know I like to cry. But we've missed you. A lot of times, uh, Beck and I will say, man, we miss home. In fact, the lady said to us just the other day, we were, on, we were already on vacation, and we were in a restaurant, and a lady from our church came in, and we said, oh, we're going to go home, and we're going to see all of our family, we're going to see our friends, and we're going to get to preach in the church that I served in for 10 years. And, and the lady said, well, you know that you finally moved when you start calling this home and that vacation. And I said, well, I guess... I'm not there yet, and uh, home is still here. In fact, I think I looked back and I said, well, home is where mom is, and mom's still there, so we're not home, and, uh, but we feel at home. Uh, many of you have called us along the journey. I can't tell you how many times uh, we've been just in the trenches and struggling, and out of nowhere, someone will call me from here and say, hey, we were thinking about you, wanted to pray for you, we'll get a letter in the mail, and uh, so many of you have done that. Some of you have come up and visited us. And uh, it's been a blessing, and we miss you guys so much. Literally, I think every day uh, there's a point where we go, we miss South Florida. And not just because of the convenience of everything being right where it is, but mostly because of the people. And uh, we miss you guys, but our kids are doing well. Uh, Many of you have asked me even this morning, how's the kids? The kids are doing great. They're here today. They're over in the kids' ministry. They wanted to see Miss Carol more than they wanted to see me this morning. So they wanted to get over there and see and be a part of what's happening over there. Uh, But they're doing great. They're they're learning uh, to do things that they didn't get a chance to do here. And uh, they have 16 friends that live on their block. And uh, it's most times kind of annoying that they have so many friends on the block. Um, because they're constantly in our yard and they're playing in our pool. We'll look up and there's 12 kids in our pool and all their parents out there enjoying the free pool. And, uh, but it's a lot of fun. They enjoy it. And uh, I actually asked them yesterday, I said, so do you guys want to move back? And they said, no way, Dad. We want to go home and see our friends. And uh, that, that makes a dad's heart happy uh, because they've enjoyed it. But we've missed you guys so much. And what an honor it is today uh, to be here and be able to speak and uh, do ministry with you. Uh, But before we go into the message today, let's pray and ask the Lord just to speak to us and to uh, touch our hearts. Father, we love you. And Lord, I pray this morning that your voice is heard. Lord, I pray this morning that we can pause the busyness of life long enough to hear you. I really believe that Satan has a plan for us today, and that's to keep us as distracted as possible. It's to keep us focused on everything but you. But Lord, we know that you brought us here today for something intentional. You brought us here to change us from the inside out. And so Father, I pray this morning, no matter what we're going through, that we recognize that you're the solution to everything we're dealing with. Whether this week we heard news that we just can't fathom or understand. Maybe today we're struggling financially. Maybe we have a relational issue. Maybe our our marriage is struggling. Whatever that is, I pray today that we would realize that you're the source that we need. You are the one thing that's going to bring hope to all of those what seem hopeless moments. And so, Lord, I pray today that this message encourages us to draw near to you. Because, Lord, I, I can share all kinds of things, but the only thing I need to do is take them to your feet And let you do what only you can do. And so, Father, I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive your truth. That you truly would change us from the inside out. Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you to turn to your Bibles in uh, Luke chapter 19. 
Now, the story we're going to discuss this weekend is probably familiar to you. Uh, I would imagine that each and every one of you have heard it. This is a very popular uh, children's story. In fact, if you were to pick up a children's book, you would find this story probably somewhere in the very beginning because it's super, super popular. So let's just try it. Let's see how much you really know about this. Here's how it goes. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and... See, I figured you would know it. He climbed up in a sycamore tree because for the, for the Lord he wanted to see. Not bad. I can tell that all of you probably went to VBS as a kid, right? You know that story. And so here's what I want to ask you to do this morning. A lot of times when we're really familiar with a story, we tend to go, well, I know that one, and we start focusing on what we need to do in a little while, right? We start to check out, and we go, okay, I'm gonna, I already know that story. It's about the tax collector. He climbs up in the tree. He wants to see Jesus. Jesus sees him. I got that one. Thanks, Pastor. I'm going to go ahead and focus on the problem for today, but I want to encourage you, forget everything you know about this story. Because I really believe that God brought you here today not to hear what I have to say, please don't leave with what I have to say. I believe that the Lord brought you here today to hear something fresh, to hear something new, so that you can be changed from the inside. Anybody say amen? I really believe you did not come today just to sing some songs and and be encouraged and go high five, have a good week, or come today and go, well, I just needed to come and get a refuel because the world is so heavy. I think that's all part of it, but mainly the Lord brought you here today to change you, to do something radical in and through you so that you can go out and share the gospel with the people around you. Amen. And so today I want to encourage you as we read this text together, forget what you knew. And let's just cling to this idea that the Lord brought us here to give us something we've never heard. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. The first thing I think we see there is that Jesus moves toward the sinner. Jesus moves toward the sinner. Look what it says in verse one. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Here you have Jesus and he's on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem. This is probably about eight days before Jesus is about to give his life on a cross, give a ransom for many. And so you've got Jesus, he's walking through, and he knew how he was going to die, right? Jesus was fully man, but he was also fully God, amen? So he was aware of what was going on. He was aware of what things were looking like. He knew why he was on a mission. He knew what he was supposed to do. But in the midst of all of that, Jesus passes through Jericho. And some would even argue the only reason he went to Jericho is because of Zacchaeus. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that we serve a God who loves us no matter what he has planned. There's always time to stop for the sinner, amen? 
Man, I can't tell you how amazing that makes me feel to know that I've got a God that loves me and despite everything that he has to do, in this moment, he's about to give his life. Can you imagine what must have been running through his mind, right? He, he just healed a blind man and now he's walking into Jericho and he's got all this stuff going on and he's headed to Jerusalem and he walks into the city and I can imagine Jesus goes, no, we're going to go through Jericho that day because I've got a plan and I need to meet somebody and he just shows me in this message shows me in this part of the text that Jesus is always concerned about the hurting and the lost. Jesus is always concerned about the hurting and the lost. Church, let me challenge you this morning. Is your concern for the hurting and the lost? Do you have a deep burden for the hurting and the lost? Jesus was always going after the sinner. The first thing we see there is he was concerned about Zacchaeus. You might say, how do you come to the conclusion that Zacchaeus is a sinner? It doesn't say that unless being short is a sin. I'm not seeing that. Well, let's look at it. He says again, he entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Well, being a tax collector to the Jewish, in the Jewish culture was not a good thing. In fact, it was one of those positions where everybody looked at me and said, I don't want anything to do with that person. They were despicable, right? When we think of tax collectors, we might think of the IRS, right? Or we might think of Uncle Sam. And while we don't like paying taxes, there's a part of us that understands that there's a system in place to help us kind of digest that we have to do it. What do I mean by that? Well, we go to an accountant or we go to TurboTax or we do something and we put in all our numbers and they calculate it all for us and they give us a pretty honest look of what the government says we owe them. Well, it wasn't the case back in the Jewish culture, right? This tax collector was a guy. Basically, Rome would take over an area, and that person, they would come in, and they would go, I'm going to appoint people to be tax collectors, and here's what I want you to do. You need to go and take this much money, but I don't care how much more money you take. It doesn't matter to me. You can take 20% for yourself. You can take 40% for yourself. Whatever you want, you do it. You can go do what you want as long as you get what we want. And so these tax collectors would walk into these areas of their own people, right? These were not outside Romans that would come in. They would hire people within the community and they would go in and they begin to go, well, you need to give us this for the Roman, but then I'll slap this tax on top of that and you're going to give that to me. And so they would steal people's money and the people would begin to get so bitter and so scared of them and so much hatred in their heart that they would begin to go, man, we want nothing to do with these people. And that's who Zacchaeus was. He was a sinner. Not only was he a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector, which means he probably had other tax collectors under him collecting money and giving him a cut from what they had as well. And so this would indicate kind of like the people, maybe the drug cartel in Mexico or the mob in, in Chicago, right, or in New York City. That was the kind of feeling you would get when you rub shoulders with these people. And so there's hatred in their heart. There's so much pain going on that this chief tax collector, he was a sinner. He was a liar. He was a cheater. He steal money from them. That's who he was. But in the midst of that, Jesus having a plan, going to give his life a ransom, stops and cares about one thing, and that's experiencing life with a sinner. And I want you to be encouraged today that that's the same Jesus that's here for you today. And he loves you. 
and he cares deeply about you. And he knows your name today. I love the fact that he walked into the city and there's no account anywhere that Jesus had ever meant, met Zacchaeus. There, there's no writing anywhere that we think that Jesus had a pre-understanding of who Zacchaeus was. But Jesus walked into Jericho with one thought on his mind. And he looked up in the tree where Zacchaeus was and he said, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down. Why? Because Jesus always moves toward the sinner. Jesus is always concerned about moving towards the sinner. Jesus, being a Jew himself, could have looked up at Zacchaeus and said, you dirty, rotten scoundrel, get down here. You're going to pay everybody back what they deserve right now. But he didn't. Look what it says in, Matthew, in Luke chapter 19, verse 5. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus knew Zacchaeus was in that tree. And he didn't have a plan to bring him down and embarrass him in front of the whole community. He didn't have a plan to call him out and make him go give retribution to everyone. No, he had a plan to intimately fellowship with him. And that's the same plan he has with you today. He has a plan to intimately fellowship. And so if you're here today and you are far from the Lord, you are here today and you are struggling, I want you to know something. Jesus knows your name. He knows everything about you. The Bible says he knows the amount of hairs on your head. And he has a deep concern for you. He has a deep longing to know you. And he's looking at you today and he's going, you, John, you, Evans, you, Rebecca, come down out of there and come with me. I want to eat with you today. And I want to know you today. I want you to have a real encounter with me. Because when you encounter Jesus, he does something radical and he changes you from the inside out. Amen, church? Jesus always moves toward the hurting and the broken. The beauty of all of this is as we seek after Jesus, we need to understand that he is seeking after us. As we seek after Jesus, if you came here today and you said, you know what, I just want to know more, I want you to understand that he wants to know more about you too. Because while you think you chose to come here today, he brought you here. While we feel like, well, I got in my car and I'm choosing to give of my time. No, he brought you here. He chose you. Listen to what he says in John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. This corrupt little man, this corrupt wee little man, Jesus knew him. He knew him, and he wanted to know him even greater, and he's looking at him. I can imagine, if you can picture yourself in that story, Jesus looking up into the tree and spotting this wee little hated man as everybody in the crowd is looking around, and they're going, I hope he doesn't talk to him, this dirty, rotten scoundrel, right? He looks up, and he says to him, and he doesn't just call him and say, hey, you, come here. No, he looks up, and he says, Zacchaeus. He dignifies him, right? He looks at him, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to eat with you today. I want to spend time with you today. And that's the same Jesus we serve. He's looking at you today and he's going, hey, you, come here. I want to eat with you. Why? Because he always moves toward the hurting and the broken. He always finds us. He always chooses us. He's constantly pursuing us. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 7. It's all, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner People make no mistake, we serve a God who's in the business of saving the sick and the broken. 
He came to eat with the sinner. He desires to do life with the forgotten. He wants to live life with people on the fringe. And as I read this part of the text, it hit me a little bit. It was one of those texts where it just kind of jumped off the page and smacked me in the face. And it reminded me that my job as Jesus' mouthpiece is not to say safe. My job is not to stay comfortable. My job is not to make sure that my family is protected and we have this safe bubble around us. My job as Jesus' mouthpiece is to go out into the world, a hurting, broken, forgotten world, one who has no clue the kind of hope that comes from having a relationship with Jesus. And it's my job to stand in the midst of that and simply share the hope that lives in me, Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, we all say amen, but are we actually living that? Are we actually looking at this encounter? And the reason Jesus walked in the flesh is so that we could know how to live, so that we could see the attributes of God, so we could discover what God's calling us to do and become. Jesus says, walk as I walked, live as I lived, right? Those are Jesus' words, live like me. Love people the way I do. Well, if we're going to love the way Jesus did, it's going to require us to get outside of our comfort zone. That's one of the things I love about the Bridge Church. They're all about helping hurting people, right? That's why you are who you are as a church. But what about us as individuals? Are we spending every day waking up going, Jesus, use me to declare your glory. Use me to help the hurting. Use me to care for the broken. Jesus did life with the prostitutes. Jesus did life. Remember the lady at the well? Man, you, you, he walked every day with one who would betray him. Jesus knew what it was like to deal with hurting people. And he always put their needs above his. Why? Because he came to seek and save the lost. What about us? What about us as a church? Is it our burden? Is it our desire? Are we wearing this desire inside of us to go, man, Lord, I just want to serve you. Even if that means getting my hands dirty. Even if that means exposing my family to something that's not as comfortable. I believe, Lord, that if this is part of your plan, then you've got a way to work it all out. I believe, Lord, that if you've brought me to this situation, you didn't just bring me here to judge it. You brought me here to change it. You brought me here to interact with it. You brought me here to bring hope to a very hopeless situation. Jesus moves toward the sinner because he knew they had a sin problem. And he understood the only cure to their sin problem was Jesus. Amen? And the whole world we live around has the same problem. It's called sin. And the only solution is Jesus. And those of us who call ourselves Christ's followers, we are the tool that he desires to use to bring hope and healing in their life. Jesus moves toward the sinner, and he wants us to do the very same thing. I wonder again today, church, let me just ask you, do you care about the hurting in your world? Do you care about the ones who are struggling? And I don't mean care like you send money to the church I don't mean care like when you see a homeless person, you hand them a couple dollars. I mean care like, are you willing to sit down and share the gospel with them? Because money is not their need. Jesus is their need. Right? The person who's hurting and just found out terrible news and they're struggling emotionally, their biggest need is not someone to go, hey man, I'm here for you. Their biggest need is for you to go, Jesus loves you. Let me share something about him. Let me encourage you in your faith. Let me share the hope that lives in me because I know that there's something bigger for you 
than what you're going through? Do you have a deep desire for the sinner? Because Jesus always moved toward him. Number two, Jesus sees who we will become. Jesus sees who we will become. You see, while the common people of that day and the religious elite refused to see what could possibly happen in the life of Zacchaeus, Jesus knew what he was capable of and he knew exactly what he would become. There's no exceptions for who God loves and extends grace to, right? There's no exceptions. All the people, the Bible says in that text, they looked around, they began to mutter. He's not seriously gonna go to do lunch and eat in the house of a sinner, is he? Because as far as they were concerned, this man was a lost cause. As far as they were concerned, there was no hope for this dirty, rotten tax collector. There was no hope, no good in this guy. Anything good was far gone. Move on away from him and get going somewhere else. But thankfully for us and thankfully thankfully for Zacchaeus, Jesus didn't see Zacchaeus for who he was. He saw Zacchaeus for what he was capable of, amen? Amen. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that Jesus didn't see me for who I am. He saw me for what I was capable of. And church, I want you to understand that this morning, that Jesus knows your potential. Jesus knows what you're capable of. Jesus knows who he created you to be. The Bible says that he created us with a plan in mind. He set us apart as believers. He has a purpose for you. And I want to encourage you today to understand that Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. God's love for us is not based on what we do. Please hear that. We do not gain favor from God by what we do. We have favor because what he's what he already has done. Amen? We do not gain favor by what we do. So many Christians live the Christian life climbing this ladder going, I have to keep doing. And the more I do, the more he loves me. You need to understand something. His love for you is not based on what you do. His love for you is based on what he's already done. Amen? He died for you. He gave his life for you on the cross. And everything we need, everything we lack is found in Jesus. You'll remember me saying that often. We lack nothing in Jesus. And he doesn't just see us for who we are. He sees us for who we will become. Look at Romans 5, 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our deepest, darkest moments, Christ died for you. And he gave his life for you so that you could be all that he's created you to be. Romans 10, 4 says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. When God looks at you, he does not say, oh man, he or she is way too far gone. He does not look at you and go, oh man, they are a lost cause. He does not see us how we see ourselves. Here's what I mean by that. Maybe you struggle with something in your life today. Maybe you're going through a hard time. Maybe you're struggling. There's, there's an addiction in your life, and you're like, man, God must want to just burn me up. God must want to just take me out. He must be so mad at me. I, I, I try to stop, but I keep failing over and over, and, and every single time I think I'm going to stop, I start doing it again, and I'm back at it again. There's no way that God must love me. There must, he just wants to take me home. Or maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum, and you're going, well, I've been doing really good for the last two weeks. God must be really in love with me. I haven't failed. I've been saying no to the things of this world. I've been going after his gospel. He must be in such a good place with me. He must really love me. We somehow think our favor is based on our merit. And we've forgotten that our favor is based on his action. It's based on who he is and what he's done. His grace and mercy is extended to us because of his love for us, not because of what we're capable of doing. Let me give you an example. When I started to, when we first got to Sebastian, our boys didn't know how to ride a bike. 
And uh, primarily because where we live, traffic was so bad, every time they'd get on a bike, we'd have to move them off to the side because cars were coming by. Anybody amen to that? You agree? Right? Traffic's just heavier here. That's the way it is. Well, the house that we bought is kind of in the middle of nowhere. And so when we, at least it's the middle of nowhere for us. And uh, so they have like a whole street they can ride and there's never any cars and they have land they can ride around in. And so I'll never forget the time that we first got there and we had on our hearts, okay, Johnny is almost nine. He needs to learn to ride a bicycle. <laughs> and, uh, and Joey at this time, I guess, was almost six. And uh, we said, okay, these boys got to learn to ride a bicycle. We need to do this. And so my mom and dad happened to be there that weekend and we had them all on bikes. And I remember my dad had one of them and was running alongside of them and, and I had one and was running alongside of them and they started to pick it up and I can remember looking back and Becca had her phone out. My mom's clapping and Becca's got her phone out and she's taking pictures and we're like high-fiving and, and we were so excited about what they were doing but here's, here's the thing. At one point, Johnny fell or one of them fell and I didn't see him fall and turn around and go, all right, put the camera away. He's a waste. He's never gonna be able to get this. Just let's go inside. I didn't do that to them. Why? Because I saw what he was capable of. I saw that there was going to be a day that he could get on that bike and he was going to be able to do it. So the father in me and the mother in my wife did not come alongside of them and go, you got to be kidding me. You were doing fine. What happened to you? What a waste. Put the phone away. Don't even think about posting that to Facebook. No, I never did that. I walked up to my son and I picked him up and I put him back on his bike. And I remember staring at him and going, Johnny, you've got to pedal the bike. You've got to work with it. And listen, just cooperate with the bicycle. You, when you get to the turns, put a little more energy into it. You've got to move a little faster. And when you get to it, just keep pedaling, keep focusing, keep pedaling, keep focusing. And little by little, he began to get it. Why? Because I saw what he was capable of. And I believe our Christian life is the same way. I think Jesus looks at us and goes, listen, you fell. I'm right here with you. I want to get you up. And listen, focus on me. Focus on me. Look me in the eyes. Listen, I want you to cooperate with me. Pedal. Get in stride with who I am. Our Christian life, he's looking at us going, I don't think you're a failure. I want you to get back on the bike, and I want you to see why, because I don't just see you for who you are today. I see you for who you're going to be tomorrow. Amen? Church, so often we get caught up in who we are, and we forget who Christ created us to be. But listen to this. I'm not going to tell you there's not consequence. Man, my boys fell and they road rashed their arms, put holes in their pants, messed up their brand new bicycles, right? The, my son's bicycle seat looked like he'd been on the bike 100 years. He only owned it three weeks. There's consequences to sin. There's consequences to the things that we fall but in those moments, the Lord comes alongside us and in his loving fashion, he begins to care for us. And he begins to redirect us and he begins to put people around us to help encourage us. And as we begin to moment by moment, I, I tell you this often, I wake up in the morning and I declare that Jesus is welcome. Not much has changed about me. I declare that Jesus is welcome. Why? Because I know outside of him, I'm going to fall over the place. I know outside of them, him, I'm, I'm a lost cause. I know outside of him, I'm capable of nothing. But with him, I can do all things. Amen. In church, we're the same way. He wants us to understand that he moves toward the sinner and he sees us for who we'll become. He doesn't see us for what we're dealing with right now. And so if you're here today and you're struggling, you're hurting, 
You're dealing with some heavy stuff, and maybe you're going, but John, you have no idea what I'm dealing with. You have no idea. I feel like such a screw-up, and I'm sitting here in this church, and I'm surprised it's not burning down around me because I'm that far from him. I want you to understand something, that Jesus loves you. And he longs to have an intimate relationship with you. He is looking at you today and he is saying, Zacchaeus, come here. I want to have lunch with you today. I want to get intimate and real with you today. And I want you to understand something. I know what the world thinks about you. I even know what you think about you. I'm aware of what you're dealing with, and I'm aware of all the dysfunction that comes along with you, and I'm not scared of it. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not worried about it. I'm the solution. Get out of that tree. Come to me. Understand that I've got a plan far bigger than your plan, and I desire for you to become something so much bigger than what you are today. I don't just see you for who you are. I see you for who, you meant, who I meant you to be. So church, if you're here today, people, if you're here today, and you're saying to yourself, there's no way that God wants me. There's no way that he can use me. There's no way that he can forgive me. If he can forgive a dirty, corrupt, stealing, lying, cheating man and humble himself to a place where he does dinner with him and he looks at him and he says, I don't just see who you are, I see who you're gonna become he can surely do that with you today. He loves you. He knows you by name. He's not concerned with where you are. He's concerned with where you'll go. And the Bible says he has a plan and a purpose for your life. I wonder today, what is it gonna take for you to surrender yourself to him and come out of your tree, to come out of that place of insecurity, to come out of that place of wherever you are, whatever struggle you're dealing with, whatever dysfunctions in your world, and simply surrender all of who you are and say, okay, Lord, I'm here. And the third thing we see in this text is that Jesus changes our heart and fulfills our inadequacy. He changes our heart and fulfills our inadequacy. As I studied for this sermon, one book I read suggested that possibly one of the reasons Zacchaeus chose to be a tax collector was to compensate for his small stature. And they said maybe the reason he was wanting to be a tax collector is because he was always told as a kid that, man, you're nothing. You're going to be just a little runt and you're this little weasel. And maybe there was a part of him that said, I'm so small, I'm going to amount to nothing that he decided he was going to chase riches and fame. And in his inadequacy, he knew the only way he could get people to listen to him and the only way that he could get any type of respect was to have the leverage over them. And so I'm imagining that maybe this is true. And as I read that, it really connected with me. I really began to think about that because I know in my life there's been many times that I've done something or I've allowed something to take over my life to compensate for where I felt inadequate. I know that there's been many times in my life where I've felt less, and instead of going to Jesus for my security and for my identity, I went to something else. And maybe for you, it's, it's not money. Maybe it's position or power. Maybe it is fame. Maybe it is money. Maybe it's that power. But we're all kind of guilty at times to going to something else to fulfill our inadequacies. And so let me ask you today, church, what are you trying to fill? And who's filling it? Because here's the reality. Until we let Jesus fulfill our inadequacies, we will always come up short. Amen? 
That was Zacchaeus' problem. And it's much like many of us, that we get to a place where we start to go, I don't need Jesus, I've got this. But what we discover is this is never enough. There always needs to be more. There always needs to be something else. And so today, what are you making up for? What are you making up for? The world says if you feel inadequate, change that part of who you are. If you, if you feel like you need a new car, then go get it. If you don't feel good enough, then go buy yourself something. Go get that big house you can't afford. You know, go begin to go buy into that substance. Go give into that lie. Go cheat. Go steal. Don't worry about it. Get whatever you need. Just do it. You do you. You do you. Go get what you need. But that's not the Christian life. What we discover in this text is that when we accept Jesus' invitation to encounter him, he will change our hearts and fill whatever inadequacy we have. When we encounter Jesus, he does not just complete us. He doesn't just come and complete us, but he changes us, amen? He doesn't just come in and go, well, I'm going to complete you. You are good, but I'm going to give you the little things you didn't have. No, he changes us. And that's what we discover in this text. Look what it says in Luke 19, verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. So at some point in this meal, the Bible does not say how long Jesus and Zacchaeus encountered one another. We don't know if that meal was an hour or a couple hours. Maybe Jesus stayed the night. All we know is that at some point, Zacchaeus experiences Jesus, and he has a change of heart. He exhibited true repentance, and he turns from the sin. And in that moment, he realized everything he had been trying to cling to was no longer necessary. Here's what he discovered. I found Jesus, and nothing else matters. It was Jesus plus nothing equaled everything. And I wonder today, does that, does that describe our heart? Is that the kind of heart we have where we have had such a real encounter with Jesus that we have understood that he doesn't just come to complete us, he comes to change us and he has radically transformed us to the place where we have said, you know what, I don't need anything that I have. I don't need anything that I've worked for. I don't need cigarettes. I don't need alcohol. I don't need drugs. I don't need the people. I don't need the stuff. I don't need any of that because if I have Jesus, I have enough. Does that really speak to the cry of your heart? Do you truly have the kind of perspective that says, I don't need anything in light of eternity. I have everything I need because if Jesus is for me, nothing stands against me. Church, Jesus is for you. And nothing stands against you, amen? And if you and I would just have this encounter with Jesus and we would let him fill all of our inadequacies, he will produce in us the kind of transformation that looks up and does what Zacchaeus did. He didn't have to give back that much. There was nothing in the law that said he needed to give that much to the people. In fact, at that time, the law said when you steal from, something, some, from someone, you only required one-fifth but Zacchaeus was changed and he was willing to give fourfold what he had stolen and half of everything he had to the poor because he was looking for what he was looking for, he had found. And he understood everything he had was pale in comparison to the treasure that he had received. Is that how you feel about Jesus today? Is everything in your life pale in comparison to the treasure that you have in Jesus? Because here's the truth the world that we live in. They're chasing the American dream. 
They're chasing riches and fame. They want everything their way, right? They walk into a restaurant if the service isn't good. They tell everybody off and they move to another restaurant, right? It is all about having it their way. But what we understand is that when we give our lives to Jesus, there is no other way than Jesus, amen? And it should create in us a posture that says, I don't need anything. I have it all. I think that's why the Bible says first shall be last and last shall be first. Why? Because we understand that in Jesus, we don't need to be the first one in line. In Jesus, we don't need to have everything the way we want it because we've got everything we need. And there will come a day that we're going to be standing in the very presence of Jesus and he's going to look at us and he's going to go, well done. Because you kept peddling. And you kept looking at me. And you kept aligning yourself with me. And even when you fell, you understood that my love for you didn't change. And my favor for you was not contingent upon your ability to ride. My favor is contingent on your ability to just continue to see me and love me and live me. And I want to ask you today, church, as your whole position in life going, I don't need to have anything. Because I understand that Jesus moves toward the sinner and he moved toward me and he called me by name and I received a relationship with Jesus. I put my faith and trust in him. And when I did, it was no longer about who I am, but who he called me to be. And as I began to focus on who he wants me to be, I understood that he transforms me from the inside out. And he brings me to a place where I understand everything I thought I wanted and needed, I don't really need because I only want what Jesus has for me. Zacchaeus understood it. He got it. He was aware of it. He knew that he didn't deserve anything, but God gave him everything. And because he had Jesus, there was nothing more that he could want. Luke chapter 19, verse 9, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. People saw the proof, and then Jesus in this final verse confirms the change that Zacchaeus was so displaying. Love had a name, and it was Jesus. Love came to him as a sinner, saw what he would be, not just what he was, and he changed him and fulfilled him. Church, I want you to understand something, that Jesus accepts us where we are, but he loves us enough to not leave us there. Jesus loves us enough to accept us where we are, but he loves us enough to not leave us there. And so let me encourage you as we close this morning. If you're here today and you're struggling, if you're here today and you feel like, man, I don't know what to do, no matter where you are, don't let the crowd name you. Do as Zacchaeus did and go to Jesus all over this room Hear me, Jesus loves you and he knows you by name. Whether you've never had a relationship with him at all, you are a creation of his and he longs for you to know him intimately. The Bible says that he loves us so much that he sent his one and only son so that no matter what, as he sent his only son that when we place our trust in him, we'll never perish, the Bible says. The Bible says that he cares so deeply about us that even while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. And so church, uh, people, I want to encourage you today, if you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, start today. Go to Jesus today. Understand that just like he did Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was far from the Lord. He was a chief sinner. 
stealing and cheating and robbing anyone and everyone, his own people, right? It's one thing to see Jesus care for the ostracized. This was someone who was ostracizing people, right? He was dirty and rotten. But Jesus met him right where he was, just like he wants to do with you today. He wants to meet you right where you are. And the Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. It's that simple. It's not about coming forward. It's not about coming to church every single week. It's not about being religious. It's about understanding that Jesus is the only way. Amen? Call on Jesus. In Romans, he says, call on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. Do like Zacchaeus did. And meet Jesus intimately today. And understand that he's got a plan for your life. And church, maybe you're here today and you've trusted Christ a long time ago. And here we believe that once saved, always saved. In fact, in John he says, nobody can snatch you out of the hand of God. And so once saved, always saved. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? But maybe somewhere along your journey, you've lost fellowship with the Lord. You stopped believing that his plan was better than your plan. And you somehow have bought into this. There's no way that God can have anything good for me. I want to encourage you like a loving father that I would do with my kids on their bicycle to understand that God has a plan for your life. He, did not, he does not desire for you to be far from him. He desires you to be intimately connected with him. The Bible says, abide in him and he will remain or abide in you and you will bear much fruit, right? The Bible says that he desires to have an intimate relationship with you and he cares deeply about you and he doesn't just see where you are, he sees what you will become. Go to Jesus today. Maybe you're struggling in your marriage and you're going, John, I'm hurting Go to Jesus, he's the solution. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction and you're going, John, I don't know how to get beyond it. Go to Jesus, he's your solution. John, I'm dealing with a lot of stuff right now and financially I just feel like I don't know how to move forward. Go to Jesus, why? Because in Jesus you lack nothing. He is the solution to every one of your problems, amen? We all say amen, but are we living that kind of confidence? Are we living the kind of confidence that says, okay, Jesus, I trust you. I'm coming out of my tree and I'm surrendering all of me to you, knowing and believing that it's you that's capable of bringing transformation and healing and change, the kind of change that far surpasses anything this life has to offer. Church, go to Jesus today and never forget that he moves towards the sinner he sees not only who you are, but who you'll become. And he desires to change you from the inside out. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. And Lord, I thank you so much for being a God who loves me despite my junk. For being a God who loves me despite all of my inadequacies, you know me by name and you care deeply about me and my favor is not found in what I do, but it's found in what you've already done. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of each and every person here, that they would not leave the very same way they came in. You brought us here to do something radical in our lives. And you're not asking us to go figure it all out and make a bunch of changes. You want us to come just like we are, 
with all of our messiness and all of our baggage and all of our pain, come just as we are and cast all of our cares upon you, the one who can truly give us rest. Lord, I pray today too that if, no one, if someone's here that doesn't know you, even if it's just one, that they would not leave without understanding how to have a relationship with you, that they would come and see me or, or Pastor Pete or any one of the pastors or stop by the Next Steps booth and get one of those blue books that says you can be sure because for us to have come this far and to have all the music and all the relationships and the message and all these things and to have missed this is to have wasted all of our time. Because you did not bring us here to sing. You did not bring us here to talk. You brought us here to let you change us and make us new. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving your life so that I could experience life in eternity. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.